Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone, and welcome to All Together, the Family Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Now, let's get started. Hey everyone, and welcome to All Together. I'm your host, Dina Sargent, and today I am talking about pregnancy loss. It is a big topic, and it is such a topic that's not being talked about by a lot of people, and it's not a common thing to talk about, but we're going to talk about it here today. And to join us, we are talking with a licensed professional practitioner, counsellor, uh, she has a private practice that specializes in infertility, reproductive loss, and third-party reproduction. She works with both individuals and couples and families. And so I'm going to get her to talk about herself. So I'd like to welcome Michelle Juarez, who's here to join us today. How are you going, Michelle? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, Dina. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's great. Amazing that you can be here. Um, so we want to sort of get to know you a little bit better. So for people who don't already know you, haven't spoken to you, um, could you mind describing your role and sort of how you got into, into this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so hi, everybody. I'm Michelle Juarez. And as Dina mentioned, that I am a therapist that's in private practice that specializes working with individuals and couples um, who have experienced infertility and a loss, a repro- what we call a reproductive loss. Um, how I got into what I specialize um, was really kind of like by accident, <laughs> um, believe it or not. Um, I had already been in private practice, but uh, my sister had experienced infertility, pregnancy loss. Uh, my nephew died at 12 days old. And um, also having a history of of miscarriages, my sister did. And so I really was able to see um, up close and and personal the the impact and the trauma and what an individual goes through, what the family goes through firsthand. She also did IVF as well, too. Um, So really just learning about that whole world and it started that I started seeing individuals, um, you know, every 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 now and then that experienced um, IVF or that was going through IVF, and it just took a life of its own. Realizing as I started forming collabor- as I started collaborating with clinics, um, fertility clinics, and my name kind of got out there. That then I was I said, wow, there's a whole group of individuals that could benefit from this service. And so it really just took a life of its own. It's really hard to like pinpoint, like, wow, how did this like start? <laughs> um, but that's that's really the, the gist of it. And so about 90% of my clientele have experienced some type of reproductive loss or um, infertility, or they're doing some type of third-party reproduction. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing just how 
much you don't hear about this and how common, I mean, you talked about 90% of your clients coming in, having gone through that situation or going through it, but it's not something that you hear about so much. It's not something that women or men or families don't like talking about. So it's, it's very interesting that it's very good that we started this, have this conversation. And I like that we, um, when we talked about this earlier, we've said it, there was, we're facilitating this conversation that sort of needs to happen in today's society. So it's really great that we could get to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's not one of those things that um, only happens just to a a small group of people. Mm -hmm. I imagine that for the listeners, that someone, each person may know someone or that they know someone that knows someone that's either had um, some type of loss, a a miscarriage, a stillbirth, uh, ectopic pregnancy, a molar pregnancy, um, or needle natal loss, or someone that's experienced infertility, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we're really starting to see um, more conversations about it. And Dean, I would like for us to certainly continue to, to add to that as well. Um, so we can take away the stigma and the shame and, and really have these difficult conversations that resonate with individuals. No, exactly. No, it's exactly what we're here for today. And I really hope that we do sort of continue this conversation even further on with the audience that we get. So let's talk about you a little bit more. We like to play this little icebreaker between between us, right, to start off. So when I say these sort of topics, just sort of say the first thing that comes into your head. Okay. Yep. So the first one is book. So book. Um, I love, love, love to read. Um, I would love to spend my whole life reading. (laughs) So when I think of books, I think about all the books in the office and all the books that I have um, at home too. But um, so when I think of book, I think of mindfulness because I'm always reading books about mindfulness. (laughs) You can't see it here, but this whole bookshelf over here has one area dedicated to, to mindfulness and and this and that's not even fertility related, right? But um, more so mental health, the being in the present moment, which yes. is really difficult for a lot of individuals. Um, but when I hear you say book, I'm like, oh wow! I'm always like getting books and buying books for on mindfulness and really mental health and just growth. I'm always wanting to uh, evolve and and grow. So then this is like another book that. I resonate with. And when I hear you say book too, Dana, I think of stories and how powerful stories are. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so just so healing. And if we have the opportunity to tell our story, like there's so much to be gathered and to learn from, from stories. So I love the idea of a book and just being able to go to another place, right? And you haven't even yep. left anywhere. <laughs> yep. No, I completely get what you mean. I'm such, I started being a reader as well over the last couple of years. Um, I lost it for a bit and came back to it. So when I heard, yeah, I definitely understand when you say stories and motivation and mindfulness is exactly how I see, how I see that topic as well. Um, How about movie? So movie, Um, when I think of movies, I wish I knew more movies. And I'll tell you why, because a lot of times in therapy, because individuals love movies, Mm -hmm. um, people will 
use a movie as a point of reference. And a lot of times I'm unfamiliar with the movie because I'm much more of a reader, right? Mm-hmm. I, Yeah, I'm so much more of a reader. I wish I was more of <laughs> more of a movie person. Um, so when I think of movie, I'm thinking, I wish that I knew so much more about movies because in therapy, individuals like to use movies as a point of reference. When they use books, oftentimes I'm familiar with the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then I can, we, we can expound and have a, a deeper conversation. Yeah. But when it comes to movies, I'm like, oh, I wish, I wish I knew so much more. And my husband, all, he, all kinds of movies. He's interested in all kinds of movies in all different mm-hmm. genres. <laughs> that's, that's an amazing dynamic duo then. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just really the, the opposite. I'm like more focused on the books and him, the movies. Uh, yeah. That's perfect. Uh, how about podcast? Podcast. Um, so there's a podcast that I love to watch. It's called earn your leisure and it's, I don't watch many podcasts. Um, I think this might be the only one that, um, that, that I, that I religiously follow. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly other ones, uh, especially in, in the field that I'm in, there's really great podcasts out there in terms of like pregnancy loss. Um, but this podcast, earn your leisure is about financial literacy. And, um, it's, um, when you, when you say podcast, I, I just get excited thinking about that particular mm-hmm. one um, because it's so universal, right? Financial literacy and um, really just how important it is. Yeah, so that name of that podcast yeah. is called, yeah, Earn Your Leisure. Oh, that's that's amazing. Um, how about famous role model? So famous role model, when I hear you say that, I can't help but think of Michelle Obama because for several reasons, uh, my name is Michelle and if I had a penny for the times that individuals have said, oh, you remind me so much of Michelle Obama, um, yeah, I'd have a lot of pennies. But I also um, really like what she stands for as well. And um, I actually have, in my office, I have books on on loss, but I also have her book, Becoming, in, in the office because she talks about her own loss, her own reproductive loss too, that a lot of people are not aware of. So yeah, when you say role model, I think of Michelle Obama. I think that's a great role model to have. I'm not not doubting that for a second. Um, how about course you've completed? So courses I've completed. So two things come to mind. I think of the American Society for Reproductive Medicine, which is where I do continuing education credits um, for that. Um, that's specific to reproductive, the reproductive field. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the one that that I think of because there's so many. The courses are tailored to IVF and loss and infertility. So I get really excited about learning more. Right, like you can never learn enough, and there's so much more to be learned in this yeah. field. Dina, the second course I think about is um, a lifespan course that I took in graduate school. And we had to, um, it was while I was really therapeutic. So the students in the class had to write um, a paper identifying um, 
a traumatic period during our time. Mm-hmm. And it was fascinating to hear individual stories, right? So I mentioned earlier about reading and how stories can be so powerful. Yeah. But hearing the students express themselves and talk about their trauma from their own lens in that lifespan course was just, just amazing. Um, just amazing. Just to, um, cause after they presented their, um, so it was a paper and then also the a presentation as well. There was a Q&A and so able to ask um, certain questions and it was just an eye opener. I always remember, yeah, that course in grad school. I think it's it's amazing and it's led to where you are today. It's been a big part of, of your life and led you to the course and led you through to where you are now. So I think if that's the course that sticks out, that's probably the most important one to you then? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And really just seeing how people experience trauma, different types of trauma and difficult um, experiences that they've had in their life and really how they've overcome them, right? Because that oftentimes was a theme in the presentations as well too. And I didn't, the reason why this course sticks out too, is I wasn't anticipating that every time a student would um, present that I would get teary eyed, right? Like I was very moved. I was very moved by the, by the presentations. Yeah. That's, that's amazing to hear. It's amazing to hear how much it's um, inspired you as well. I would think. Yeah. Um, so going into the conversation today and going into the topic that we've invited you here, um, to start off with, we have a question that we ask all guests on this podcast on your definition of family and how you would define it in your words. Yeah. yeah. The definition of family, that's a tough one, Dina. <laughs> <laughs> I start you out strong. Yeah, that that's a tough one because when I think of family, and it's for me, it's evolved too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not even a fancy definition. When I think of family, not only just for myself, but even for other people, um, I think of one or more persons, right? So a, a group of people um, that are connected with each other. And then I'm thinking, well, when I'm saying a group of people, but I know our pets can be our family too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do we say like a group of people that we feel connected to or animals or um, I'm thinking maybe family is really up to the individual and what we decide family is, right? Mm-hmm. Or is not, because we might say that family certainly can be like when we're related to someone, but does it necessarily have to be related to someone, right? Like our friends can certainly be our family. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I would really say that it's whoever the individual decides who is family, right? But having that that connection and that bond and someone that we feel um, united with is, yeah, is what family is. I don't know if I can, if there's just one specific definition for family. So subjective. Yeah, I know. I think you've got it on point, though. You definitely are the first guest to mention pets as well. Yeah. So I think that is a bonus I, a bonus point I'm definitely going to give you for that. Yeah, thank you. I'll take it. 
So we definitely can agree that the universal of the universal definition of family kind of no longer applies to what yeah. the definition is of today. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I definitely think that it has changed as well. Um, what do you think the position of a family is in today's society as well? Yeah, it's everything. I mean, it's everything. When we start talking about um, risk factors to adversity and difficult uh, and, and struggles and um, individuals, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, when individuals face obstacles, right? Mm-hmm. When we have a support network that's there or our support group, the support is everything. It's like night and day where, um, you know, for our, our family, or certainly our friends, our friends that we consider family, that it um, it's the foundation, right? It's the foundation that doesn't blow us away when there's a storm coming. And when I start, when I'm referring to storm, I'm talking about life, right? And the things, the yeah. obstacles that life throws at us. Um, But when we have that family that's there as a foundation, then when we're faced with adversity, whatever that is for any of us, right, um, then that's, um, we're able to cope. We're able to cope better than that, right? So it's a risk factor if we don't have those support networks. Um, Yeah, it's everything. Yeah. So if you compare it to sort of decades ago, do you think it still holds the same importance as it did? Yeah. And Dina, yes, 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 and yes. And I would say even more so. And why do I say even more so? Because now, you know, before family was close by, right? Yeah. Um, and not as separated and as, as it is today. And so now with the world becoming smaller, um, or just the access of being able to live in, in different places. And we're just more transient. Um, our family may not be with us. Right. And so we may not have that support how we did before. And so I would say that it's even, uh, it's just as important, if not more so, um, just because now it's, we're not living close to our families. Um, yeah. like that's not unheard of. No, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, And I think it's really important to sort of have some sense of family, whether it's friends, whether it's family members, whether you're blood related or not. I think with that definition of family that we've just described, having that connection is definitely important, Um, especially when you tie it in with the topic for today, going through that, going through that process or going through that kind of loss is something that you definitely need that connection around you to sort of help you understand and help you cope. So um, going into it, I know that this, this is, there's no set answer for this, but um, Mm -hmm. what do you think are the different types of pregnancy loss? Yeah. So um, what do I, let me make sure I'm understanding the question that what do I Mm -hmm. think about the different types of pregnancy loss? What do you, yeah, what do you say are the different types of pregnancy loss? Yeah. Okay. Um, So the first ones that come to mind are uh, a miscarriage, uh, 
an ectopic pregnancy, um, stillbirth, right? A neonatal loss, which is 28 days after um, the baby is, is born. Uh, what else am I missing? And I say miscarriage as the first one because that's one that most yes. individuals are are familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're aiming today's topic at people who sort of don't understand, um, don't know the definitions or don't know the different terms. So going into what you just said, could you sort of explain what the each of the different types are, if that's if that's okay with you? Yeah. So the um, so a miscarriage is, and there's certainly different types of miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's called a spontaneous abortion, um, and a miscarriage can happen in the first, second, or third trimester. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's the one that's more people are more familiar with, right? The loss of the fetus, um, the ectop- ect- ectopic pregnancy is when um, the the fetus implants outside of the uterus. So the fetus can implant on the cervix or the fallopian tube, right? Um, so not inside of the uterus. Mm-hmm. And let's see, a stillbirth is when the baby dies in utero. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see, I mentioned the neonatal loss, which is when, um, 28 days, right? So that 28 days after birth, when an infant dies, mm-hmm. um, and there's certainly SIDS, like we can go on like a different yeah. route yeah, too, sure. um, with different types of losses, but these are certainly the most common ones. Mm-hmm. No, for, um, and as again, this has no set answer. And I know we've spoken about this before, what do you think are the causes of pregnancy loss from your experiences? Yeah. And so and generally speaking, oh, wait, let me just go back to, I didn't mention okay. the termination for um, medical reasons, right? When mm-hmm. individuals and couples um, find out that a, a child has a chromosomal abnormality and um, that there's, yeah, I didn't mention that type of loss. Yeah. Um and I would I want to mention too termination for non medical reasons as well too, but just as a scope of what we're yes. talking about because yes, I don't no. want to discount um, those individuals as well too. Um, so you you asked about the risk factors, right? Like yes. what's um, let's see. So certainly a woman's age plays a role mm-hmm. in it, right? So women that are over 35, 35 and older, that's a, um, a huge risk factor. Um, if we have pre-existing conditions, right? So chronic illnesses, mm-hmm. um, whether it's diabetes, high blood pressure, PCOS, that, that, that that's a risk factor as well. Um, our family history, right, is, yeah. is certainly a risk factor as well. Um, if we have what's called the incompetent cervix, uh, that's a risk factor where the cervix um, doesn't do what it's supposed to do to keep okay. the baby there. Um, yeah. so that's certainly a risk factor. Um, let's see, what else would in keeping it in the scope of, um, because it really is dependent on the person as well too, but I'm just thinking about the more, the most, like the common things. I said family history. 
Uh, Dina, what some individuals may not realize too is that a lot of times there's no rhyme or reason, right? Yep. Um, that there's not something to uh, what we can point to. And that is very alarming for individuals as humans because we want to know, right? Like we, we need to know the answer. But when we're left with no closure, right, if we don't have an answer, um, then that is uh, certainly heartbreaking. Um, that is very mm-hmm. difficult because if we have a specific like diagnosis, for example, or, or a specific reason, um, then we can say, okay, uh, if I do this in this area, then I'll be successful. But yep. there's many things that are outside of our control when we start talking about pregnancy losses. Oh, another thing that I didn't mention too is um, a woman's BMI, right? So if yep. our BMI is too high, that can be a risk factor, mm-hmm. even if it's too low, right? A low BMI mm-hmm. um, can certainly be a risk factor. There's and that's certain... not even just loss, but in, infertility as well. Yes, yes. And I think there's such a big, I mean, even with this, even with talking about it, there's just so much that, I mean, you were giving the definitions a little bit earlier and it was so much that I didn't know. I, And I think I really love that I didn't sort of research this a lot beforehand and sort of get to talk to you about it because acting as someone who's never experienced it, who's never directly had to learn these things the hard way. It's such an interesting thing to sort of get to talk to you about and have a first person sort of just tell me a little bit more about it rather than just going up to Google and typing up things and discovering it. Yeah. Um, yeah, So going into the next question, who do you think is at risk during the pregnancy loss? Yeah. So who is at risk? Um, So I'll go back to very similar to the previous question, right? So Mm -hmm. women who have a a high BMI, those who have um, chronic illnesses, you know, diabetes, high blood pressure, um, PCOS. I mean, just just to name a few. Um, Who's at risk? Those who have a family history of it. And sometimes some individuals know, they'll say, oh, Michelle, my my mom had difficulty conceiving, right? Mm-hmm. Or this is something that runs in in our family. Um, so certainly our genes and genetics, um, those individuals are, are at risk. I mentioned women 35 and older. Uh, women of color are at risk, um, are at mm-hmm. high risk as well too. Yeah. And Also talking about other parts, what are some misconceptions that many people have about pregnancy loss? Yeah. Do you know the first thing that comes to mind when I hear you say that, what are some misconceptions that individuals have uh, is the trauma, right? So in our field, in this field, we call it a reproductive trauma. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when I'm saying that to individuals, they're like, Oh, oh it, it was a traumatic experience. Like that was that was trauma. Yes, like absolutely, mm-hmm. right? When we look at the symptoms and of of trauma, um, oftentimes we think of trauma as experiencing war or like the death of someone, right? But um, 
there's so many other areas of trauma. But the misconception is, is that individuals um, have not been traumatized, right? Or that it's um, for individuals on the outside, oftentimes they might say, well, why are you still grieving? You didn't know the baby. Um, You didn't, what? And so I would say that the misconception is, is that, um, that it's not a significant loss, that it's not something that is traumatic, right? Mm -hmm. When in fact it is, even when we talk about infertility as well too, right? Um, That is a reproductive trauma. It impacts so, so much of our, um, so much of just our being, our relationship with ourselves, mm-hmm. our relationship with other people, right? Specifically, our you know maybe our, we have a significant other um, with our our family, with society. Um, it's um, for those who haven't seen it firsthand, um, they're oftentimes just don't know what it entails and and the anguish and the distress and the grief that comes along with it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really, it's even just thinking about it, it's an emotional sort of experience that a person would have to go through no matter if they've, if they know they've had a child, if they can't have a child, those sort of realizations really come into play and really, they definitely would hit hard. I mean, I can't, when you say that that's a misconception, that there's no traumatic loss, I'm, even I'm like just thinking, but it is is a loss. It is something that they put their heart out to. They plan their whole life around. They change so many different aspects of themselves to make sure that this, the child or the person that's coming into the next generation of them, their family is healthy, is there. And it's, it's, to realize that that's that not going to happen at that time. Yes. It's still it's still it's still possible to sort of have a huge connection to something that you've never met. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Dina, that's why I say that it's a misconception because a lot of times individuals believe that well, like I mentioned, like you didn't know that person, right? That yeah. there's this misconception that you have to spend years and years of, of time with this individual, but what it is for many people is the loss of what could have been, right? The yep. loss of the future and and the hopes. And for a lot of us, right? Like we don't imagine like that's going to happen to us. That's like that's what happens to other people, right? Like yeah. that doesn't that doesn't happen to us. Um, but yeah, and I'm always amazed too with some of the women that I serve, where they will. Um, go back to work the next day or, or two days later, or when individuals will say, or family members, or friends will say, you're still sad. You're still grieving. Um, <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's a significant, it's a significant loss. Yeah. I, I definitely sympathize with a lot of um, women and families who are going through this situation. Um, so is, pregnancy loss preventable? And if so, how can it be prevented? Yeah. So is pregnancy loss preventable? And if so, how, how could it be? Um, 
So the answer to that is certainly not a, is a complex one, um, but the short answer is, I mean, there's certainly things that we can do to reduce the risk of it, right? So managing our, um, if we have chronic diseases, certainly managing those, going to the doctor, going to our OB, um, knowing certainly our, our family history, you know, in that way, um, but like, as I mentioned before, that there are some things that our genetics play a huge part in it, um, yeah. where there's where there's no rhyme or reason. And there's lots of research out there, but I'll let the doctors like get into that piece of it, right? Yeah. Where, um, you know, some people swear by the keto diet, right? That that helps improve, specifically, I'm talking about fertility, right? Um Let's see, I'm thinking of some other things that women can certainly do. Um, just being proactive early on in pregnancy as well, too. Um, you know, obviously, like if we smoke or if we do alcohol and substance abuse, uh, that certainly can be a factor as well. When we start talking about pregnancy, loss, right? I don't want to mention just like the obvious, but those two, I don't want to leave those yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So with that, so I'm sort of thinking in terms of um, what you talked about getting early on and knowing it very proactive. So when do you think a person, in your opinion, when do you think a person should go get checked or go get, um, see if they are healthy in terms of, um, going through a pregnancy, should they get, get when they're in a relationship or should they also sort of see a bit earlier on, say mid twenties kind of timeline? Yeah, that's a really great question. So when I hear that, I'm just thinking like, um, being proactive, um, I mean, I would say even earlier than 20s, right? So let's say, for example, we that we know we have a family history of it, right? Like that would certainly be helpful for for us to know, um, because then maybe if if we know that, or um, if we're not so certain later on if in, in, in our 20s, or even later on that we um, we're not so certain if we want to build our family or have children, then we can. Um, we can freeze our eggs. We can, there's things that we can do, right? Because our quality of our eggs um, starts to decline as we start to get older. Yeah. Um, but if we, it's, let's say, for example, if we have a history of fibroids, um, and this is why I say being proactive like that, it's, it's, it's ongoing. It's something that we continuously do because the more information that we have, certainly, certainly the better. So having those open conversations with our doctor, uh, with our gynecologist is, is, is helpful. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really good information to know. Cause I think like when you say the proactive thing to it, it's really, um, I mean, it's very similar in my cases and sort of just even connecting it to me. Cause, um, a lot of people, don't know their family history and it's a really yeah. hard conversation to come up. So, yeah. and no one Absolutely. really talks about it in families when it terms of, Oh, what's our family history of this? 
a lot of people don't know. A lot of people, yeah. a lot of family members don't know. So, yeah. yeah. You know, you're so spot on with that. It's true because there's, it almost seems like that we don't start having the conversation until something happens. And then we start asking, right? We start digging around and saying, oh, well, did this happen? Like, what was it like for you, mom or dad? Um, what's the history? And then they find out and it's like, oh, I didn't even know this, right? Like, yep. how come nobody shared this bit of information with me? So yeah, you're right that individuals are not talking about it with the, the family history piece. And it's so important. Yeah, no, exactly. It's It's definitely important. So how do you think a pregnancy loss affects a, mo- a mother or a parent and their connection to family members? Yeah. How does it impact them? Um, and I don't want to leave the dads out either. No, no, hundred <laughs> percent. I think that's a big, um, that's a big role in that relationship. Yeah. And I get that it's, it's different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the men are, are impacted for the women who are, carrying the child, right? Um, because men and women experience differently, there's certainly going to be variations, right? And mm-hmm. what that looks like. Um, but it certainly impacts them significantly. Again, as I mentioned earlier, that it is a traumatic event for individuals. And mm-hmm. so what happens, Dina, is that when we have a reproductive loss, it takes away our innocence, right? Um, because now, when we start to move forward and uh, we decide to get pregnant again, it's what happens is that we're really afraid, right? And there's lots of anxiety that is um, accompanied with the pregnancy mm-hmm. because we feel like something is going to happen, right? And so we really can't let our guard down. So that's how we feel. We feel like we can't let our guard down until the baby is in our arms, right? Or till further along into pregnancy where we're getting those reassurances and going and seeing the ultrasound and hearing the the heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is, um, I think that's the best way that I can explain it is that it feels like, there's so many losses, right? Like there's so many losses. There's there's a loss of innocence that's there. Mm-hmm. just because we, we know too much. And then what starts to happen is that we feel like it can't, uh, particularly if it's our first one, right? If so if we don't have any children, it almost seems like it's something impossible for us, mm-hmm. right? And so it can be very in- anxiety provoking for sure. But I think I blended yeah. two things, right? The loss and then when we when we decide to, to get um, pregnant yeah. as well. I think it's a, it's a good combination because it's important to talk about both aspects. I mean, understanding both parts of it. So what support do you think can be provided for families or couples that are sort of going through with the size to get pregnant as well as the loss? Yeah. So certainly your, your medical team, right. Um, support. And when I say medical team where we can ask questions, right? I know a lot of times like we want to Google things and and search things, but if we have questions, uh, knowledge is power that getting that information from our our doctors 
can certainly be really, really helpful. You know, the great news is, is that um, certainly with like technology, there's certainly support groups. There's all kinds of support groups, um, mm-hmm. not just for heterosexual couples, right? But for LGBTQ plus, um, for single women by choice, so who decide to go at it um, without a partner. So w- there's a tribe out there for for everyone. And again, we were talking about support earlier. Just makes a huge difference. Um, we can do group therapy. So for example, for myself, I facilitate a support group for individuals who experience infertility. Um, there's online face groups. Um, many of the clinics in the fertility uh, clinics have groups as well. Um, you know, the great thing is too is, for example, even the face group um, support group. Because sometimes individuals will say, "Oh, Michelle, I don't, I don't feel comfortable talking. Like, I don't want to share. It's too personal." But even um, we don't even just listening to other people's stories, right? Dina, you mentioned about podcast earlier. You were asking, like, what what do I think about when I think of podcasts? I mean, there's so many podcasts out there where we can get support from. Um, reading about other people's stories uh, that that certainly resonate with us. I get that everything isn't for everyone. And mm-hmm. so there's just a variety of, of resources that that are out there. Yeah, it's amazing how much it's behind the scenes. And when you don't talk about it, normally you sort of do see and hear a lot of different avenues that there are this support. And I mean, not only support for from family members, but also support from other people who are going through similar situations. And so how useful is it to sort of talk about with people who are going through similar situations? Yeah, it is. um, I would certainly highly recommend that, Mm -hmm. right? Because a lot of times when we go through this journey, we feel like no one understands, right? And Mm -hmm. we feel isolated. Um, Like right now I'm thinking about individuals who will document their story on Instagram, right? Like that will post. That's another source too, where individuals um, find that to be really helpful um, as well. But there's something about the story, again, where we have our tribe and we, if we're holding all of this stuff in, we can, all these feelings and emotions in and, and the pain. And when someone else also has a similar journey, it doesn't have to be the same journey, mm-hmm. right? Um, but a similar journey, it's so therapeutic. It's so therapeutic. Um, and and little by little, and hearing the stories too, like, oh, wow, oh, you felt that way or that, you also experienced that? Oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one. Um, mm-hmm. Can be really powerful um, in that. And then again, we don't feel so alone. So going back to the support too, right? feels just like it's more more doable. Okay, I'm not the only one that's gone through through this experience. Yeah. No, I I can definitely see how therapeutic and how calming and also relatable it would be for people to talk about people with other people who are doing similar situations or going through different avenues such as fertility and IVF and all those other situations. So I think having that support I can see how it would be very helpful. Um, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we don't have to explain. Like we're with exactly. other individuals where we don't have to explain that they've 
been through it and they just get us and they, yeah, yeah they yes. understand. No, a hundred percent. Um, so going into practice and habits, which is another little section that we have, um, what is the practice that you do to become a more mindful person? Yeah, so the practice that I do to become a more mindful person, um, so I do meditate daily mm-hmm. um, and really try, I really try hard to be in the present moment, right? And if anyone out there, even the listeners <laughs> have, have tried meditation or even being in the present moment, it's hard, right? Like it's yeah. really, it's really hard. And so really being very intentional about when I am so far in the future, and bringing myself back, right, mm-hmm. to the present moment, because this is where everything is happening, right, in the present moment. Yeah. Um, not in the past, not in the future, but but right now. Yep. So what are um, three good things that you sort of found about meditating? Um, the first thing I'm thinking about is just, is peace, right? Mm-hmm. Um, certainly a, a sense of peace really getting to know yourself, right? Um, really getting to know yourself and and your thoughts and, and where your thoughts don't take a life of their own and kind of control you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but being able to um, really just sit with it, right? Like the, the unpleasant emotions, but also with the pleasant ones as well too. Um, because we know this is life. There's going to be anxieties and there's going to be obstacles. Yes. Um, but just being able to maneuver through them, right? Like ride the wave of them can make all the difference. Yep. I, I definitely highly agree with that. Um, so would you say that this practice and how would you say that this practice has impacted your personality and also your perception in life? Yeah. Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, how has it impacted my personality, my perception? So when I think about my perception, um, I'm thinking about that. I don't want to. I don't want to say that I I don't take things seriously because I I, I do. But really, um, I think having that understanding, having that lens of the understanding that when difficult things happen that it will pass, right? Like it's not, a lot of times we feel like, oh, this is going to be forever. Um, And it gets tough, right? But oftentimes it doesn't stay tough forever, that there's, it does get better, right? Like that quote, this this too shall pass, that it it will pass. Um, And so I think that when difficult things happen, having that perspective of, this is not final. This mm-hmm. is not final and really coming through that lens and how it impacts my personality. Um, I think I don't get too caught up in the, in the past or the future, right? Like I'm really, I'm, I'm always trying to be intentional about being in the now um, and really just being flexible, right? I guess if we're talking about personality, like flexible and, not too um, rigid in, in any area. That's that's amazing how much it's actually affected you. I have tried to meditate. I cannot sit still for the life of me. I get too distracted by everything. 
everything mm-hmm. in life. I <laughs> I am not a settled down person. I cannot sit down for a couple of minutes and say that I am okay. It's more like me rushing through life. So yeah, I will. I'll try. I'll try meditating again um, after you've said it. After you've said it like that, and um, I'll see. I'll see how that goes. But yeah, we we don't yeah. know how that will go. <laughs> Well, it's hard. It's hard, Gina. But you know what? The great thing is, is that there's different forms of meditation and mindfulness is, is certainly one of them. And mindfulness, we don't have to um, be in a lotus position for hours on end, but mindfulness could be, we could mindfully eat, right? Like really, mm-hmm. um, really noticing the, the smell and the texture and the taste of, of the food, right? Yeah. Um, we could practice mindfulness just going on a walk, Right. And feeling the the air and, and what does the sun feel like and what are some of the smells out there? So really just being in the present moment. Many forms of, of meditation. Um, and we don't have to just be sitting still, right, in in order to practice meditation. Yep. Okay. Well, that's good. It makes me feel like I'm doing something all right then. <laughs> um, so we're going to go and talk about questions from audiences and sort of what they've sent over to us. So the first one is how to cope with bad talk from family about pregnancy loss. Yeah. So how to cope with bad talk. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is individuals who oftentimes say family members say insensitive things, right? A lot of times they don't understand and so as tough as it is that we have to give them grace, right? Um, in terms of like that they are, they, they think they're saying the right thing, right? And oftentimes they don't realize what their words and comments are, are very hurtful and insensitive. Um, but it's a great opportunity to, um, to educate, right? Uh, and, and say, we can, we can say however we, we want to say it or whatever we feel comfortable with, um, that that's hurtful or this is what I need, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of times we feel like we have to say like the right thing or, um, and for many individuals, just being there, just being present there. And we can, and we can say that to family members. Um, I don't, I, don't need you to give me advice. I don't need you to say like these cliche sayings, but just being there is is more than enough. I think that we undervalue just being there for mm-hmm. individuals during a difficult time. The great news is, is that there's um, so many books out there that um, and we can certainly get pamphlets from different organizations too for like, I've got one right here for family and friends, right? <laughs> From Star Legacy, where we can mm-hmm. say, hey, can you can you take a look at this, right? And then there's some bullet points about what not to say or do, which can be helpful. And Dina, I find that individuals are receptive to that, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, like, thank you for letting me know how I can be helpful. Yeah. No, I think I think that's it's very important. It's very nice to have pamphlets around as well. I found that um, even dealing with certain situations such as like mental illness and talking about what not to say about family members or two family members, having those pamphlets really help um, mm-hmm. family members being aware of being mindful as well of what to 
say, what to not mention, even if it's simple as a joke that can come around, it can come take offense to that very lightly. Um, yes. And we, so, have, we have to let them know, yes. right? Like, I just want to say one more thing. Like we, um, and I know a lot of times we say, well, why do we have to be the one to say like that they should know? But what happens is, is that if we're silent, mm-hmm. then the family members and friends take silence as being okay, right? Yes. And they will continue on and it might, it may not sit well with us, right? It might be something that's hurtful, but we can say it in a gentle and compassionate way. Um, and oftentimes they're really, they're grateful for that, right? For that yeah. information. Um, yeah. Yeah. Similar in this case, is it, is it okay that I don't tell um, friends that I am going through IVF? Yeah, that's a really great question. That's that's a question that we oftentimes talk about in the support group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what? The, the answer to that is that it's really dependent on the person, right? So we have some ladies in the group that will tell their families um, because they 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 want that support, right? Because it's difficult to get the support if if we don't say anything, right? Yeah. So for them, really needing that that support so that they are vocal about it. And then there's some individuals who say, you know what, if I tell my family, it's going to just cause more anxiety um, for me because they're going to be asking constantly. They're not going to give me my space. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's some individuals who are concerned about if they disclose and if something happens, then they're having to now go back and, 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 and tell the story. Right. Um, When they haven't even processed it themselves. So it really is dependent on on the person. There's really no right or wrong answer. Yeah. I think on the family. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really hard because, especially when it comes to you don't know if that person's going to tell another person or that kind of like how far everything would get around. And um, suddenly you, you realize that everybody around you knows your situation and knows what you're going through and you don't have a second you've sometimes even like a lot of sympathy can be too much a lot of yes. like people trying to relate to you and trying to understand can be too much and there are some people who just don't want to talk about it they use like a certain space as their distraction or mm-hmm. like yeah so like having to now describe it to everyone that you know in in that space yeah. Yeah, it would be, it would be a huge situation. So when I read that, I was like, you know, I think it's it's okay not to tell, not to tell everyone. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Because just like to your point where too much support, right? Like Mm -hmm. how that can be where now the family is following up and then they want to know and then more information and it's a reminder. And for some individuals that that can be too much, right? So yeah. and again, there's there's no right or wrong answer. It's certainly dependent on yeah. on the person. No, a hundred percent. So, what are some ways that we can show support to a family member who has experienced multiple failed pregnancies? Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind is just listening, mm-hmm. right? That um, I'm saying just listening, but 
for many of us, that's very difficult when we start talking about active, attentive listening, because we want to tell our story. We want to jump in. We've already got things that we're already ready to to say, Mm -hmm. but really listening to the individual, right? Just being there for them. Because none of us walks in that individual's shoes, right? They know their life better than any of us. Um, and so I would say listening um, and, 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 and asking, how can, I, how can I support you, right? Um, because that looks different for, for different individuals. Um, and respecting the individual as well, too, if, if they do want to talk about it, if they don't want to talk about it. Um, for, for many individuals, let's say uh, going to a baby shower, right, is, is a trigger. And so if the individual feels uncomfortable, then we don't have to shame them or anything like that. But we can say, OK, I support you in your decision, Um so yeah, asking ways that we can um, certainly su- support them um, again with whatever that that looks like for them because that is unique yeah. to each individual. No, I think I think asking them straight out is really important because um, you don't know what that person needs until you do ask. So I completely agree with you when it comes to just asking. And I know that for a lot of people that can be very difficult to ask because it's not something that you don't know if that could be a trigger for them as well. That could be um, something that they don't even want to even be mentioned. But yeah, I think it is important to definitely agree with you when it comes to it being important to ask, ask the person how the support can be. Yeah. It can be so powerful too, because when we're asking um, it, the, the person feels validated, right? Um, when we're asking them, it's like, okay, this person is interested in my well-being. Mm-hmm. And then it gives them the autonomy to say, this makes me feel uncomfortable. Oh, or no, 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 you're fine. Like, no, that's that's okay with me. I feel very comfortable mm-hmm. with that. Um, so it's, it's a win-win. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, so one of the big questions that did come up a couple of times is, should we, and if so, how do we explain pregnancy loss to children? Yeah, and so um, should we? Um, again, I get that it's it's different for for different people, um, mm-hmm. but when we start talking about holding things in, right, mm-hmm. then. And I don't, I don't want to say absolutes, absolutes like, yes, we should or we shouldn't. Um, but what I will say to that is that, again, oftentimes sharing our story is, is very freeing, right? When we keep it inside, um, it's got nowhere to go. It's got nowhere to go. And it can, it can certainly in, impact our, our mental health. Now, how we decide to share, right? So I think that the the person is asking about like for maybe children that they have that is going to be dependent on the individual right Uh, what they feel comfortable with sharing at whatever age that they decide to share do you know the great news is is that there are books out there that can guide parents along 
um, in broaching that conversation. And many of the books use uh, cute animal characters as yeah. well mm-hmm. to, to facilitate that conversation um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, because what happens is, is that if we, if we don't share and each individual makes that decision about when to share, yeah. right? Um, but then it starts getting larger and larger and larger in terms of like the anxiety or mm-hmm. the um, the unpleasant feelings that that come with it. When we share, it's very freeing, right? It's freeing and and liberating. Yeah. And I get that it's not for for everyone, but I'm coming from the lens of I, I don't want people to hold it inside, right? Yeah. Like wanting them to. Um, certainly free themselves of that, uh, like of that, of that situation where, and, and it can certainly facilitate those conversations. Yeah. It can facilitate conversations. And just like what you and I were talking about earlier, um, with knowing our family history, mm-hmm. right. Knowing our family history as well, because when we don't, um, have those conversations, our triggers, like we think that they go somewhere, but they don't, right? And so um, if someone asks us about it and we haven't talked about it or processed it, it's like a shock. Yeah. It's a shock for us. Yeah. Um, as opposed to little by little, little by little, having the conversation. Then we get to a point that we've had it so much that there's, um, it, it takes away some of the intensity. Yeah. I think, yeah. Is there, so talking about dealing, talking about it with kids and handling it, is there a way that, for example, going to a therapist and getting the therapist to sort of explain, or if the parent is unable to find the words to describe it, is there a way that that can happen as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. That the therapist could certainly assist with facilitating that conversation Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. That's, that's a great option as well for families who aren't really willing to find the right way to describe it or can't sit down with their child and talk about it. So yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And Dina, it goes back to what you and I were talking about with stories as Mm -hmm. well. Right. So when I'm working with individuals and, um, you know, they're talking about having difficult conversations with their children. Um, A lot of times individuals have a beautiful story, right? Mm -hmm. And when, um, when they're in control of their narrative and, and able to, um, uh, talk about their, their own story through, through their words, right. That it's coming from them. Mm-hmm. That not only can be healing, um, but also really helpful for the child as well too. And we can use, we don't have, depending on how old they are, right. We don't have to say everything, mm-hmm. um, whatever the parent feels is appropriate, age appropriate for, for the child. Um, but the stories are, are really powerful. Yep. No, for sure. And this sort of leads us into the next little um, section called Open Mic, where we Uh give you a chance to talk about something that you are passionate about. 
Um, we've talked about this before and I'm so excited to hear what you have decided to come up with and talk to an audience about. So I'll give the floor to you for the last couple of minutes of the show. Yeah, yeah, Dina, thank you so much. So I was really thinking long and hard about this. And I'm like, well, what what do I talk about? Um, because I really wanted it to be interesting and engaging too. So I, I think I'll start off with um, what I did prior to becoming a therapist because many of my clients don't know. <laughs> um, so I used to be a flight attendant for United Airlines um, for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I would say that most of my clients don't know that except for maybe, I think maybe one, maybe one or two that I've worked with in the past. Yeah, And um, I, I mentioned that, Dina, because my husband and I and our children, um, we like to travel a lot, right? So even though I'm not a flight attendant anymore, it was kind of like, I guess, in in my blood because I've lived in other countries, even growing up. Like I, I in middle school and part of high school, I lived in Ankara, Turkey, and I've lived in England. Um, and because my parents were in the military, both of them were in the Air Force. And so I did move around a lot. And then I just continued that as my, in my career as a flight attendant, going to, to different places. And we still continue to do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's really important to me, um, seeing so many different parts of the world and different perspectives and so many, um, just expanding my horizons and, and my mind and just learning, right? Like there's, so much to be learned from from traveling. Yeah, it's it's amazing to hear about your story before that, being a flight attendant and traveling. I mean, yeah, it's definitely something that um, I definitely did not expect. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, absolutely. Yeah, it's that sounds like such an adventure in itself to um, growing up and sort of having that having that other huge experience that you've that you've got to understand and traveling and experience the world in so many different countries and different lifestyles and all of that. And I think that's, that's amazing actually. Yeah. Thank you, Dana. I'm really grateful um, for those experiences, not only um, living in the other different, the other countries and places that I've, I've lived in because I've lived Mm -hmm. in a lot of other places in the United States um, in addition to living overseas, but also in my travels because um, it has been really helpful in in the work that I do, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is that I'm really proud of um, the clients that I serve and the different backgrounds they come from. And um, um, I I certainly serve a diverse group of individuals, and I'm really proud of that, um, whether if it's um, individuals who I'm working with that are non-Christian, if they're Muslim or Buddhist or just different ethnicities, if they speak, if they speak a different language, um, if they have a disability, if um, just a diverse group of individuals that I serve. And so I believe that through my travels, um, I, I, I see the world differently, right? I'm not rigid in one way of thinking or that this is the absolute way that 
I have the understanding that there's multiple ways of thinking and one is not more inferior or superior to the other one. It's just a different one, right? And I think that comes through um, the individuals that I serve that they um, that they feel welcomed, right? That it's a, a, a welcoming place, that there's a curiosity of um, wherever they wherever whatever their background is. Mm-hmm. Um, because whatever culture individuals are from, like we have to take into account of the individual's culture, right? It would be hard to to not do that. Um, that that's part of an individual. And when I'm referring to culture, I'm not just talking about race or, race or ethnicity. And we could talk about sexuality as well, too, or even um, our age or wh- whatever the case is. We have mm-hmm. a disability. And so all of these things, right, there's so many things that um, contribute to our culture. But I think that through my my traveling, um, I'm certainly always a student in the willingness to, to learn Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that comes through in, in the work that I do, or at least I hope so. <laughs> no, I think, I think it's amazing. I mean, helping all the different diversities, all the different cultures and understanding and doing it through the lens of learning and understanding what the culture is, how it impacts the person. I think that's extremely important in what you yeah. do. And it's, it sounds amazing. It sounds like a good combination of to the things that you've learned to love and you've experienced through life. So, and here at our company, we love to say that we're all lifelong learners. And that's sort of a, a quote that we go by a sort of, um, sort of the phrase that we love to use, uh, everywhere that we go. So I think that's, it's really important in this day and age to sort of never stop learning and you never, you never really do either. So, I think yeah, that's spectacular. Yeah, I feel like like the more the more we know, the more that um, we the more we learn, the more we realize that we don't know anything. <laughs> exactly, we have more questions and answers at every every stage. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, um, I really want to thank you for joining me on today's episode and for talking about talking about pregnancy loss, talking about all the things that we talked about today was defining family to learning about different um, support that you can get. Uh, yeah, so I just really want to thank you for joining me on today, Michelle. It's been it's been amazing having you on. Thank you. Thanks, Lena. Thanks so much for uh, having me. Thank you so much for using this platform as uh, to have this conversation um, and, and spreading awareness and allowing individuals to, um, you know, really hear like what kind of goes on in this in this world and in, in this field, um, in this experience that individuals have that may not have you know thought about it. If they have a family or a friend that have uh, that's gone through uh, pregnancy loss or even infertility that it allows them to look at it in in a different lens. So yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Always. Um, So is there a way that if an audience member would like to get into contact with you, is there a place that they are able to? Yeah, absolutely. So they can go to um, www.reflectionscounselingvb.com. And so that's the website. 
<laughs> and um, through the website, I think that that might be the easiest way, right? Then there's links on there to Instagram, to um, Facebook, um, and links to if they want to schedule um, therapy as well. They can do all of that via the website. Okay, amazing. I'll have we'll have that link down in the description below or uh, wherever you're listening to. It will be somewhere in the description. And yeah, I want to thank all the audience uh, today for listening and for getting to know both Michelle and talking about her work and hearing about it. And if you have any questions, feel free to either put down in the comments below or send a message to her directly. And yeah, thank you guys for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in, guys. You've been listening to All Together, the Family Science Insights podcast, produced by Family Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 life management perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at fa.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent, and thanks for tuning in.